0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you for the scriptures. Uh, We thank you for the way that they present to us uh, a picture of what it is to live wholeheartedly for you. And Lord, we pray this morning now as we consider how we might use our whole lives in service of you, that we might not just hear my words, but that we might hear your voice, your word clearly through your word. And we pray that out of this, we might walk away uh, fully devoted, to living wholeheartedly for you, using our whole lives in service of you and your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, but I remember distinctly growing up and uh, often being asked by older people, what I wanted to do when I grew up. Do you remember that? Uh, you, for you, that might even be like your stock question when you meet a little person, is like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, I remember when I got asked that question a lot growing up, is I, I, I really didn't know, and it caused me quite a lot of anxiety, quite a lot of stress. Maybe I wanted to be a pilot and to travel the world. Maybe I wanted to be a fireman and to to rescue people from burning homes. Maybe I wanted to be a policeman to to stand up uh, for law and order and to be able to run around with a gun because that sounded cool when you were 10. I remember having a lot of angst because as a 10-year-old, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, But beautifully, now we have the internet and it's full of online quizzes. So you can go on the internet and you can do an online quiz and it will tell you what you should do based on your personality and what you're like. I did one this week and do you know what it came back as? The irony is great. He came back as a career consultant. <laughs> Apparently what I should do is help people uh, work out what they should do with their lives. Uh, for all the angst we might feel about uh, whether we're doing the right thing, whether we're studying the right course, whether our life is headed in the right direction, uh, f- for all the angst that a lot of us who follow Jesus will feel about whether we're living out God's will for our lives, God's purpose for us and for our lives is actually really, really beautifully simple. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whoever you are with, God's deep desire for you, God's deep desire for all people is that they are wholehearted followers of Jesus. That's it. All the rest. It is important. It is important to think about what career you're going to do. It is important to think about whether you should do full-time ministry. It is important to think about who you might be uh, spending your life with. It is important, but really it all boils down to this. God's desire for you, God's amazing plan for your life, is for you to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. That's it. Not, not half-hearted not lukewarm, not just on Sunday, wholehearted follower of Jesus, holding nothing back, fully devoted to him. Over the last four weeks, we've been uh, painting a picture of what it looks like to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. Uh, And and as we painted that picture, we've kind of identified uh, four, and now this this Sunday is going to be the fifth, five key areas, five key purposes of what a wholehearted life looks like. Uh, what a wholehearted life looks like. First, we saw that wholehearted followers of Jesus, they will live in a way that magnifies God. They'll live in a way that displays God and his greatness to the world around them. Because they've worked out that life is not about them, but life is all about God. And then as we thought about the life that would magnify God, the life that would bring him glory, uh, we saw that God is actually on mission He is on mission to redeem and rescue all of humanity through his son, Jesus. And he has commissioned us, he has commissioned us as his people to carry that good news out into the world. And then as God saves people, he saves them to be part of a new humanity, to be members of his body. And so as we love God, we will love others and welcome them into God's family. It's a thing we call here Membership. And last what you saw, that as God has drawn us to himself in mission, as we welcome one another as members of Christ's body, as we seek to live in a way that, that glorifies and magnifies God, through all of that, God is maturing us. He's maturing us by his spirit and his word. He's maturing us to make us less and less like the rebellious world from which we've been saved. And instead, we're growing to become more and more like Jesus, his son who died for us. And if maturity looks like that, if maturity looks like Jesus, then there could, be, could there be anything more Christ-like than for us to serve, to give our lives in service of God and his people? Uh, the word we use for that here is ministry. Uh, ministry. That's all we're going to be thinking about this morning. Now, to be clear, the word ministry... Uh, some people might hear the word ministry and they might think ministry that's what ministers do right that's what pastors do and you might think okay well i'm not a minister i'm not a pastor i'm not a priest i'm not a nun i'm not a monk so i don't do ministry that's not my gig but the word ministry when it's used in the bible it doesn't actually have in the bible any special religious significance it simply means service it simply means service service serving god and serving others and so wholehearted followers of jesus they will give their lives in ministry they'll give their lives in service of god and of his people now we're going to work out a a bit about what that looks like from uh, looking at those verses in romans chapter 12 so it'd be great if you can have romans chapter 12 open And when we turn to Romans chapter 12, the first thing we see is the motivation for ministry. Uh, The motivation, the reason why, why we do it. Why do wholehearted followers of Jesus serve? Well, they're committed to serving others because that's exactly what God has done for them. They're motivated by God's mercy. Have a look there in chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Chapter 12 verse 1, uh, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, Now we're dropping right into Romans chapter 12 here Uh, the Apostle Paul he's beginning a new section in his letter uh, to the Christians in Rome and as he does that he does it by summarizing the previous 11 chapters and he uses two words to summarize everything he said in those 11 chapters. Two words, God's mercy God's mercy so as we live out the life of a wholehearted follower of Jesus we do it in view of God's mercy it's to be motivated by how God has loved us and how he has served us and how he has saved us through his son Jesus and how has God shown us his mercy how has Jesus served us and saved us well here Jesus own words in Mark chapter 10 they should appear on the screen Jesus' own words. He's uh, he's speaking here to his disciples. His disciples are arguing amongst themselves about who gets the places of honor at Jesus' left and right. They're fighting over who's going to get the privileges and the prizes for being close to Jesus. And Jesus knocks the wind out of their sails with these words. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Disciples, if you're in this for what you can get out of it, if you're in this because you think this is a way to have people come and meet your needs, if you're in this so that you can be served, Jesus says, sorry, you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong team. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he served us by his whole life. He served us with his actual life. He laid down his life for us. He gave his life. It says he gave his life as a ransom. His life, his blood was the price that was paid so that we can be free. So we can be free from guilt and shame. So we can be free from the judgment that we deserve. And as a result, all of our service, all of our ministry, it all begins here. It begins with God's mercy. It begins with Jesus, the one who came to serve, the one who came and gave his life for us as a ransom. And that is a total game changer when it comes to thinking about how we can use our whole life in service of God and his people. It changes everything. God's mercy, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we can see life, the way we set our priorities. It changes the way we think about ourselves and about others. God's mercy, it ought to change our ambitions and our attitudes and our actions. You see, now we are free from having to live for ourselves. We're free from having to serve ourselves because God has served us in Jesus. We're free from having to save ourselves. So we don't do ministry in order to earn brownie points with God so that we might be saved. Because God has already saved us in Jesus. It actually frees us from having a transactional view of relationships of having a transactional view of, of, of why we come to church. We don't have to think all the time about what I'm getting out of this because God has served us, God has saved us, God has given us everything we need in Jesus. The mercy of God, it turns our life completely upside down so now our lives can be lived in service of God and of others. You see, ministry is motivated by God's mercy. Uh, The next thing we see is that ministry is a life of sacrificial worship. Ministry is a life of sacrificial worship. I think there's three key ideas here. Life, sacrifice, and worship. Have a look at verse 1 again with me. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our response to God's mercy is a life of sacrificial worship. A life of sacrificial worship. Now, it's worth clarifying here what worship means as the word. Uh, uh, Worship can sometimes be a kind of a jargon and kind of Christianese kind of word that we use. Uh, And recently uh, in in church circles, uh, people have distilled the word worship to just mean a time of kind of intense praise. Uh, And so they'll refer to the time that we spend singing together in church, and and they'll say that is the worship. And so they'll call uh, the song leader, the worship leader, they'll call uh, the musicians, the worship band, they'll call the songs we sing the worship songs, and the person who who makes it all happen is the worship pastor. And so worship has been distilled to this this moment where we are singing together in church. But if you go back a generation, uh, worship was going to church. Uh, the gathering in church, in the church building, it was called a worship service. And so worship was something that you did on Sunday in a special building uh, with church people. That's what worship was, a Sunday church service. Now, singing praises to God and attending church on Sunday, it is part of worship. But if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, he would say, there is a whole lot more to worship than singing. There's a whole lot more to worship than going to church on Sunday. He would say that worship means treating God, the God of the universe, as he deserves. To give him the worth that he deserves. And to worship a God like that is to live in a way that honors him and to live in a way that obeys him and to live in a way that glorifies him. And that's got to be all of life, doesn't it? It's got to be all of life, not just our singing, not just our Sunday. And so ministry, our life lived in service of others, that is part of our worship. That is part of our worship. What does Paul say here in verse 1? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's no holding back there. Uh, there's, There's no compartmentalizing our life in worship. Kind of like, I worship God in this part of, 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 my, of my week, and this part is for me to do as I please. All of life is to be lived in service of God. All of life is to be lived in worship of God. How you drive to work tomorrow morning, that is worship. When you look at the bank balance and you decide how much you're going to save or spend or give, that's worship. That's worship as you chat to other parents at the school gate, as you engage on social media, as you open your home to others, that's worship. As you consider your diary, where you'll put your time and your energy this week, what will you prioritize this week? As you think about where you'll live, what job you'll do, as you plan for your retirement, all of that is worship. All of it are opportunities to use our lives in sacrificial service of God and his people. Which is why when someone asked me recently, um, they asked me, oh, so where do you worship? Uh, I knew what they meant. So I politely said, sit on a hill. Um, But the cheeky part of me, because there is a cheeky part of me, you wouldn't believe, the cheeky part of me wanted to say, "I, I worship on planet Earth, most often around Wellington, That's where I I strive to honor and obey and glorify God. That's where I seek to use my whole life to serve God and his people. This worship, this whole of life. The other thing we see here is that it is costly. It's costly. What's the phrase that Paul uses here? Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. It's a bit of a uh, contradiction, a living sacrifice. Usually a sacrifice was something that died. But here were to be living sacrifice. And there's something about a sacrifice. A sacrifice in and of itself, it is It's is costly. It's costly. Now, Paul here is using the word uh, sacrifice to, 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 to bring up for us ideas from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, where people would, the people of God would turn up to the temple, and they would turn up to the temple with their sacrifice. And that was a costly thing to do. It was supposed to be costly. You turned up with your best cow. You turned up with the first of your grain. You turned it up to the temple, and you offered it to God at great cost. You think about people who go off to war. Now, we don't speak about the sacrifice of the Anzacs at Gallipoli because they had a lovely holiday by the Aegean Sea. We don't talk about it as a sacrifice because they played beach cricket and worked on their tan. No, we call it sacrifice because it was costly. It cost some of them their whole lives. And so, a life lived in service of God and His people, it's not given from the dregs, it's not given from the leftovers, it's not given from our surplus, but it's costly, it's sacrificial. It ought to cost us something to serve God and his people. And it's a, worth, it's a, it's a worthy question to ask is, uh, as you think about how you serve God and his people, as you think about how you, how you live a life of, uh, a whole life of worship to God, it's worth thinking, does it actually cost you anything? Is there anything in your life that you're missing out on because you're wholeheartedly serving Jesus? If not, then it really doesn't look like what Paul is talking about here, does it? Costly, whole of life, serving God and his people. Ministry, it's a life of sacrificial worship. And this sort of life of sacrificial worship, it can only flow from the inside out. Ministry flows from the inside out. It flows out of a heart and a mind that have been transformed by God. Have a look there in verse 2. Uh, Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Uh, now, when Paul says, uh, do not be conformed to this age, he simply means uh, s- s- he simply means uh, thinking and doing things the same way as, as the whole world around us. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just go with what society is doing around you. Don't just think that you're the center of the universe because the rest of the world says that that's how you've got to live, that you've got to look out for number one. Don't think that your life is just kind of a collection of experiences and opportunities and pleasures and achievements and money and, and you've just got to gather as much of it as you can for yourself because that's how the world around you lives. Don't just go with the flow but be transformed. Do you know what sort of fish goes with the flow? A dead fish. Thanks, Mum. I brought my mum along today. Thanks to you. I've got to be on my best behaviour. Um, uh, you can ask my mum what I wanted to be when I grew up. I couldn't remember what it. Yeah. Um, don't go with the flow. Don't, don't be a dead fish. Paul says be transformed, not conformed. Be transformed, not conformed, because ministry—it flows from the inside out. It flows uh, from our head and our heart. It flows out to our hands and our feet. You see, God is not in it. God, God's not into kind of fake it till you make it, or kind of fluff it till you feel it. That's not what God wants from us. No, Paul says there: be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the life of sacrificial worship, the life of wholehearted service, it begins with renewed hearts and minds. And this is important because service that is worship, service that gives God the glory and honor that he deserves, it can only come from a transformed heart and mind. It can only come from a heart and mind that has been transformed by God's mercy. And fourthly, the only way we can uh, the only way we can truly use the gifts that God has given us is to use them in the service of others. Ministry is using God's gifts in service of others. And there's two, kind of two key snapshots here in Romans 12 uh, of what this transformed service looks like. Uh, the first is that transformed service is not superior independence, but mutual dependence. Not superior independence, but mutual dependence. Have a look in verse 3 with me. Uh, Verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many... For, so, 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 in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You see, here, as Paul is calling us to live lives of, 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 of worship, lives of sacrifice, uh, of service of God and his people, he says, as you do that, make sure you don't do that with an attitude that conforms to this world. Make sure you don't do that in, with an attitude of thinking that you are better than others. In every single church I've been a part of, there are people who walk through the door on a Sunday morning and they think they're the bee's knees. There are people who walk in and they think that they've got it all sorted. They walk into church and they think, I'm here, I'm at church, I'm here to serve all these poor people around me who haven't just worked it out yet. or Serve all these poor people around me who aren't quite doing as well as I am. Unfortunately, often the people who think that, they they stand up the front and they preach sermons and they they sing and they, they, they do very upfront things. But people walk into church thinking that they've got it sorted and that they're here just to help the weak ones along. And they come along and they think that maybe church doesn't actually have much to offer them, that they don't need any help from anyone. But Paul says, have sober judgment, think sensibly, The transformed way of thinking is to realize that we are dependent on all of those around us, that we are not an island, that we cannot do it on our own. And part of the way that Paul does that for us here is he he lifts lifts off this bunch of the different gifts, all these different gifts. Each one is different, but each one is necessary. Each one is to be used as we all depend upon each other. Uh, now, if you're hoping that I'm going to do, do a deep dive into this list of gifts, I'm sorry, um, uh, not today. Uh, uh, sometimes we can get too hung up on the specific gifts in these different lists that we get, like, what does that gift mean? And, and, and uh, what are they? And uh, which one do I have? And uh, we can do all sorts of kind of things to try and work all that out. Um, but just the New Testament has a bunch of different places where it gives us lists of gifts, uh, lists of gifts that God gives the church. Uh, None of the lists are exhaustive, uh, so I think there's a bunch of gifts that are not in the lists that are here, Uh, but the expectation in every time uh, gifts are mentioned in the New Testament, the expectation is that gifts are used to serve, that gifts are given by God, not for the benefit of the holder, but for the benefit of his church, And not one person has all the gifts, and I think that's intentional on the part of God, not one person has all the gifts so that no one person is superior or no one person can be independent, but we're all mutually dependent. God has distributed gifts so that we all need each other, so that we all have a chance to serve each other, so that we all have a chance to be served by each other as well. Uh, The second mark of transformed service is not indifference, but wholehearted love. Not indifference, but wholehearted love. Have a look there in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, I don't know whether um, when um, Joel was reading that, whether you kind of felt a little bit overwhelmed by the lists of uh, kind of instructions that Paul gives here at this point. Uh, it's helpful to realize, uh, uh, even if you're feeling overwhelmed by all the things that Paul says that we, we ought to do, it's helpful to realize they all spring from one thing. That is love. We serve because of wholehearted love, It says a life of service, a life of ministry, it doesn't come from rivalry. It doesn't come from jealousy. It doesn't come from apathy. It comes from wholehearted love for God and love for his people. And it's important that we get this part straight as we think about how we might use our lives in service of God and his people because there's a whole bunch of unhelpful motivations that can be at work. Sometimes we will serve to impress people Sometimes we will serve because we think that's what we, needed, we need to do so that God will love us. Sometimes we serve because we feel like it's our chance to shine, to perform, to be seen by others. Sometimes we serve because we just want other people to think that we've got it all together. Rivalry, jealousy, jealousy, selfishness, pride, Paul says no. We serve because we love. Because we love God and we love other people. Now it wouldn't be a a sermon on ministry without me talking about all the jobs that need to be done here at church. Um, I think we counted up uh, last year and just to make church happen on a Sunday morning, there's 31, or well, there was, 31 different jobs that need to be done. We usually have about 100, 110 people here. It's about a third of the people here doing something on a Sunday morning. But I want to say loudly and clearly that ministry, a life of service of God and his people, it doesn't equal doing a job at church. It doesn't equal uh, joining a team. I was going to say uh, being part of a roster. We don't do rosters, we do teams. Uh, it doesn't mean joining a team. It may involve that. But if you think, oh, I need to kind of live wholeheartedly for Jesus. I need to, uh, I need to serve God with my life. So I'm just going to join a team. And then I've ticked that box. I've, I've got that off my to-do list. No, no, no. It, it, it is involving serving a church, but it involves so much more than that. It involves an attitude shift, a, a heart change, where we see our lives no longer as ours to expend in service of ourselves, but ours to expend in service of God and others. To be used for their good, not our own. flowing out of wholehearted love for God and His people. Not superior independence, but mutual dependence. Not indifference, but wholehearted love. This is what it looks like to give our lives in service of God and His people. We're motivated by God's mercy to live a life of sacrificial worship, a life of sacrificial worship in the service of God and of others. And this sort of ministry, this sort of service... this, this way of living, it's actually logical. I'll show you. Um, uh, come back to verse 1 with me. Uh, there's one final thing I want to see uh, as we tie it all together. Uh, one, one final thing. Verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now those words there, true and proper... Uh, in verse 1. In the original language, uh, those words that get translated as true and proper, it's the same word that we get in English, logical. And so what Paul is saying here is, he's saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that Jesus has given his life for you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that Jesus has been resurrected so that you can have new life, what is the logical response to that? Is the logical response to that to search around in my pockets for the loose change that I've got and give that back to God? Would that be logical worship? Is the logical response to that to say, okay, God, I'll give you one day in my week. You can have one out of seven and that's my worship. Would it be logical just to give God our singing, just to kind of give God kind of an, an our, our emotional praise, to pay him lip service? see, if God has given us everything in the death of Jesus, if God has given us everything he had to give, then surely the logical response, the logical response is to give him everything back. Isn't it? And this really gets to the heart of not only ministry, but it gets to the heart of our wholehearted series, doesn't it? If God has given us everything in His Son, Jesus, then nothing short of our wholehearted devotion would be an appropriate response to Him, would it? Nothing else would be a true and proper response. Nothing else would be a logical response to the God who came not to be served, but to serve And give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life as a ransom for you. Why don't you pray with me as we ask for God to transform our hearts, to transform our minds, to transform our lives so that we are wholehearted followers of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us everything in Jesus. That he did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many It as a ransom for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you might take our lives and use them. Lord, we offer our whole lives to you in sacrificial worship. And Lord, help us to have a clear picture of ourselves. That we're not superior, but we are dependent upon each other. That we're not to be indifferent to the people around us, but that we're to embrace them, to serve them in wholehearted love. And Lord, we pray that you'll take our lives and use them in service of you and your people. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.